Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, Father Richard Newhouse, the Catholic scholar who died um, a number of years ago, wrote a devotion, a series of devotions on the sayings from the cross. And the first saying from the cross is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Newhouse goes on then to tell the story of the prodigal son. That's his introduction to this famous parable. Forgive them, for the child has run off in ignorance, and have mercy on them, for they do not know what they do. When you hear that saying from the cross, that saying from Good Friday, three weeks from now, who do you imagine Jesus praying for? If you think about it for a moment, you hear Jesus, you imagine him, he's got a thief on the left and the right, he's got the Roman guards around him, who is Jesus praying for? And probably our, our initial instinct is to thank, well, the Romans. They're at the command of Pilate, um, the soldiers are, and of the guard, and so they simply are following orders. They just put people on the cross. They don't know that this is the Son of God. You know, so Jesus is probably praying for these Roman soldiers. You know, he wants to, them to be forgiven what they've done. But clearly, the Jews who are in disbelief have got to be considered too. I mean, some of them went along I mean, this is political correctness of the ancient world. Run quickly, and everybody's saying, crucify him, so crucify him. And everybody gets carried along in the mob. And all sorts of people like Peter stand and do nothing. And the disciples, they're part of the crowd. Maybe he's praying for the disciples. And maybe, Newshouse says, much more likely, Luke is praying for his audience who will read his gospel for centuries to come. That if we were there, we would be no better than Peter and James and John. That we'd have been in the crowd afraid. And Jesus would have been praying for us. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. This moment of mercy, Jesus, God, Jesus says to the Father, not that they're without guilt for doing this to me, but God, the fact that they're so ignorant that they've forgotten who you are, have mercy. That's the prayer that we're welcomed into today, this, um, this moment of finding the Father, turning and listening to the Son's prayer and offering us forgiveness. Sons who return home. This famous, famous parable we hear over and over, one of the few that's probably still known culturally um, in our world, maybe that and the Good Samaritan, although even we find now people don't know these parables. One of the grandest little stories told, and we've heard it so many times, and that striking moment that brings me to tears when the son realizes and he's in a far country and he thinks of his father's house and the riches of it. That imagination, I've, what have I done? I've gotten so far in that coming awake, um, some versions have coming to myself or coming to my senses. He knows now what he's done. He realizes he acted in ignorance. I said a couple of weeks ago that the theme that's so often um, used for Lent is wakefulness, watchfulness, coming awake, coming to your senses. It's that same idea. The son awakes from his kind of ignorant, selfish stupor, and he realizes that he's given up the lavishness of the father's house. And Lent is the season, if you're not a person who has practiced Lent for a long time and you're not into that ritual, most of us know that we're simply not good at coming to our senses. And so we lay out six weeks and I say, give things up. And for these six weeks, do your real best to come to your senses and wake up. 
and realize what you have squandered in the Father's house. So the Lenten question for us is, into what far country have you run? Where are you? Whose pigs are you caring for when the Father's wealth has all been spent? It's the honest answer. Wakefulness means I'm going to stop and actually do what we say in confession. I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, and what I have done and what I have left undone. I've not loved you and I've not loved my neighbor. Run through that in your mind. Where is it that I am squandering the Father's riches? My wealth, my education, my money, my time, my energy. Where am I spending these gifts that are all gifts? The air you breathe is a gift. The life you have, every bit of it is gift. And when am I just outspending it on my own life and story and desires? That's the question we have to ask before we move on. Where am I when I come to my senses? What life and what story am I living? Am I living the story in the Father's house, enjoying his riches? Or have I really run off? Or, even more likely, people sitting in this room, probably, I'm much more like the older son. I'm still in the Father's house, but there's a root of doubt and bitterness in me. My faith's a bit more like a hobby that I add on to other things that I do. At Sunday, I'll put my faith in check, but my hobbies and my interests and my television shows and my friends and my spending interests and those things and those rhythms that define me, I'll go back to those tomorrow. And I won't live fully and hopefully in the love of the Father's house. And the moment the Father does something I don't like, the tongue turns and I blame him. Because I'm living with that hobby kind of Christianity, that partial devotion to the Lord. And it's telling in a moment when the Lord shows his love to somebody we don't like. And the bitterness kicks in. It's that kind of mediocre, um, warm Christian faith, neither hot nor cold. And we just journey on with it. And for us, and for the one who's journeyed into a distant country, there's a wakefulness, an opening, a waking that has to happen to know that we're in the Father's house and that he's calling us back in to be in that room with him again and to be in those riches. Um, The story, if we're to be honest, should probably not be called the story of the prodigal son. It should be called the story of the father. A friend of mine who studied New Testament years ago, we were in graduate school, and he used to have this way of turning these passages around so creatively. And he said, this is not the parable of the prodigal son. It's the story of the seriously and crazy, happy and generous father. He's absurd. He's ridiculous with his generosity. A man of this kind of wealth who had servants, this is a shame culture, so there's shame and honor. You don't run across a field to greet your son who squandered your wealth. Um, That son has not done anything to earn his place back again. This is dishonorable behavior for the father. And he's crazy with love for his son. It's absurd. It should be to those Jews. They would know what a crazy father would do that, that he has love for his son. Carrie read for us today from the book of Jeremiah, this kind of matching passage. Is not Ephraim my son, and yet he is no more. But I yearn for him, and I will have mercy on him. Mark the road, mark the places for yourselves, Israel. Um, This is Jeremiah speaking to Israel who's going into captivity. They're going to go pay a price, but the love hasn't stopped. The, The father can't stop loving the children. He's a seriously and intensely happy father. 
and immensely generous, and he will bring his children back again. That's the weight of the story that brings sleepy, ignorant sons and daughters back into the Father's house. When we awake and we realize, man, that's a good father. And he welcomes us, but at a cost. I was thinking um, Newhouse points this out. We have a human tendency when we do things to one another and hurt one another in, in smaller ways to say, no, that's all right. Don't worry about it. You know, we, we brush off the things that we have done. And we can imagine the father brushing off the son's sins. And it's very clear in Second Corinthians day, and we read in Paul's passage, he's not brushing off the rebellion and the ingratitude and the running away to a far country. If he's a God of justice, he can't let it go. That's Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, that's cheap grace. It's no grace at all if he's not just. He must do something about outright rebellion. And it's going to be at the cost of his son, of the good elder brother, who will take our place. Just two or three verses before we read in 2 Corinthians today, Paul says, For he made him who knew no sin, or that's the end, to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. The good and perfect elder brother will take the blame for both sons and all sons and daughters and experience the most injustice and unjust judgment and accusation that the world can offer him and he will accept it because the father wants his children back in the home again. The father will take the burden of the guilt upon himself and give it to his son at cost. The verse before in 2 Corinthians is, for he died so that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose against our behalf. And Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us. For we've concluded this, that one died for all, that all might live. To be welcomed back into the house of the seriously happy father, the really expensive calf has got to be killed. There's a blood sacrifice in the story. It's easy to miss but we're going we're gonna to sacrifice an animal in the home so that there might be a festival. One animal will die that there might be joy. There might be the restoration of the home again. And at great cost, the elder brother Jesus has taken our place and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In our moment of ignorance, God has made the step for us so that we can wake up in a far country and return home. The great reversal, when the innocent one suffers, all will be made alive. It's a story I said at the beginning. We've heard so many times this prodigal son, and it pops up here in Lent when we read in Luke. Luke's the only gospel writer that tells the story. And I read one writer this week who said, how do you hear this story fresh? when you've heard it so many times. It can be difficult. And he says, how about this? Ask yourself, What does the younger son do tomorrow morning when he's woken up in his father's house and he's been given back the wealth of the kingdom? It's not merely the story of repentance, but now what will I do when I wake up tomorrow and I know that I've been welcomed back into the father's house? That image I shared before church, will I begin to commit myself to the journey of becoming the perfect human being that Christ has died for me to be? Will I begin to repent and make my life and all those wealth and riches of the Father, will I honor them because they belong to him and they were all gifted to me? That's what we need to ask ourselves today. What will you do tomorrow when you wake up, welcome into the Father's house and sharing 
in his lavish riches. Amen.